0: The Conservative
1: Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Hurwitz, in the house here at CRTV. Howard by Westwood One. Thursday, January 17th, or make that January 18th. I'm losing track of time because I am so out of my mind. We're going to have a government shutdown. Get the toilet paper. Get the eggs and milk. Get the duct tape. Oh, whoops, I forgot. We already have a government shutdown. We have the ultimate government shutdown, the shutdown of our system of governance that we adopted in 1789, where we have a judicial autocracy, where the members of Congress do not represent us. They don't represent our concerns. They care more about foreign nationals or exclusively about foreign nationals rather than caring about Americans. Our side of the story doesn't get out. We have no social contract. We have no social compact. That is the true government shutdown we have. Now, how do we reopen the government? And I'm not talking about 17% of the non-essential bureaucracies. I'm talking about the real systemic shutdown. There's a lot of things we need to be doing. But obviously, we have to elect like-minded individuals that genuinely live and breathe our values and are willing to give voice to them and utilize the stratagems the legislative uh, initiatives and not just serve as a vote but a voice for our virtues and our ideas i promised you guys earlier this month that this year we'd be kicking off our meet the candidate series and you know after the entire alabama fiasco as you guys know i really wanted to walk away from this just focus on issues it's so hard vouching for people and taking the spending the time to research them personally research them on a um, policy level then give them over put my name on on them try to do everything i can for them and then who knows what's going to come out about about individuals but then i start to see a number of really patriotic people want to make a difference and run for office and they're looking for some sort of platform um maybe not necessarily to launch launch them but in some cases to launch them because they can't find a bigger platform willing to you know give them that that opportunity and i don't want to waste your y'all's time and you know present you with people that have no shot of winning but you know i definitely want to serve as that platform so we're going to do things a little differently for the most part i'm not going to be endorsing most people i'm just gonna bring them on and give them an opportunity to discuss not just the issues but some systemic ideas that will give you a chance to see if they're for real if they're worth your support if you want to donate to them. Um, but in some instances, I am going to continue endorsing, you know, when I really know the individual and I could vouch for them. And I'm really happy to kick off our series with someone who I indeed already endorsed. And I'm going to link to the article and show notes. And his name is Chip Roy. To a lot of you guys, he's not going to need an introduction um, because he is literally one of us, literally has been in the foxhole. It was just a couple of months ago we were together fighting on, on healthcare together when he was the head of the 10th Amendment project at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. He's widely known as Ted Cruz's first Senate chief of staff, who is really responsible in many ways for making Ted Cruz's first year um, probably one of the most successful freshman years ever for, for, a, Cong- for a senator. Uh, he was also uh, chief to uh, Ken Paxton, attorney general of Texas, as well as holding many other positions bred and born texan he's now running putting his hat in the name his name in the hat for congress for texas's 21st congressional district being vacated by sitting congressman lamar smith and with no further ado it's an honor to bring chip to the conservative conscience hey chip welcome how are you hey
0: daniel how are you i'm doing great
1: no, great to have you here, and, and I think it's very befitting to have you as the first one here because you are one of the few people that, even after stepping on some bombs, I'm willing to put my name behind full force. Um, let Let me start this out by you know working backwards rather than talking about the mechanics of the district and you know what issues you stand for, because I think anyone who knows you and our audience is familiar with you knows exactly what you stand for. I'm I'm pulling my hair out here. I'm watching this week unfold, and, you know, it, it, this is different than any other issue where on healthcare, on spending, on the role of the federal government, the role of the proper role of the states, no one's giving voice to our concerns. That, that's old news. But here you have the entire Go government of both parties fixated on the urgency, emergency of what to do with foreign national illegal aliens. And there is nobody giving voice to our side of the story, to the crisis of terrorism from immigration, of criminal aliens, of sanctuary cities, a sanctuary fix, a criminal alien fix, an asylum fix. The entire framing and premise and assumption of the issue, even conservatives are are using the parlance, the premises, the assumptions of the other side. But it's it's worse than any other issue because, as I started off the show. This violates the very essence of the social compact, that as a representative, your job is to represent your people. You might want to do stuff for El Salvador and Mexico. You might want to open up a a ministry there. Um, Knock yourself out and do that. But as much like the head of the household, you owe your allegiance to your family. You represent us. And I'm not hearing that anywhere. What has broken down? In, in terms of representation in this country where illegal aliens come before Americans?
0: Well, there's a lot to unpack in all of that, but I feel like I couldn't agree more with your overall frustration with the state of things. And look, I think when I tell people when I'm running down here in, in Texas, but I mean, I think this, this is uh, accurate for others across the country, that we've got a situation where in Washington, they, they've got this disease of groupthink where all they can do is think about things through the lens of some sort of polling or some sort of direction. Somebody has told them about what they need to win a couple or a handful of moderate seats in order order to hold on to power. And they don't start with principles first, right? It's always about power first. I don't even mean power in the sense of power hunger, but it's all about just the state of who's owning and controlling Washington. That's the whole shutdown fight, right? Whenever they run and cower in the corner and they weep and they hold their hands and they shudder in the corner. Mm -hmm. Oh no, a shutdown. Why is that? Because they go back to 1995 or they go back to, ni- you know, to the shutdown fight that we had in 2013 and they say, gosh, we're gonna, the American people will blame us and it'll be awful. And th- the fact of the matter is, none of that is true. Republicans did great after the fight in the mid-90s. We did great after the fight in 2013. The American people are desperate for leadership. And they are desperate for leadership on all of these issues. Spending. Immigration, healthcare freedom, none of which any of our so called leaders, the biggest oxymoron in the history of political lexicon, our quote leadership in the Congress, none of them want to stand up and defend what the American people want, which is a sensible, secure border where we have legal immigration that's focused on the United States of America first and not immigrants first, where we have healthcare freedom in our country and we're not spending our children in, into oblivion and increasing the size and scope of the federal government. The Washington class doesn't think people, American people first. They think power first. They think immigrants first. They need to think about the United States of America and the people first.
1: No. And that sums it up in a nutshell. I mean, it's not a matter of going down a panoply of issues. What do you think on this? What do you think on that? Again, you know, to our audience, we're going to conduct interviews a little differently depending on the candidate and, and how we know them. And, you know, obviously we, we know, uh, you know, behind every great Senator is a great chief of staff. And, uh, Again, everyone could read my my full endorsement of your candidacy, but it's this notion of failed assumptions. I I find even some of the more conservative members, they're only eating out of the trough presented to them by the political class. I mean, let, let me just, you know, and I'd like for you to extrapolate on this. Let me give an example of something that has gotten lost in the shuffle, although Trump tweeted about it today. In, in this clean CR, and notice how a clean CR, even when Republicans are in charge, means clean of conservative policies, but it actually has other stuff attached that's liberal. They have a six-year extension of S-chip. And I'm yeah. watching the debate here, and it's a matter of, oh, the S-chip fix, S-chip fix. Even the Freedom Caucus, even the conservatives, and nobody's ever giving voice to the fact that, wait a minute, wait a minute, back up. We have Obamacare and Medicaid expansion that goes to subsidizing 400% Uh, up until 400% of the poverty poverty level. There is no need for S chip by the admission of the drafters of Obamacare. It should have gone away in 2015. They extended it for two years, promising um, some reforms and here a six year extension without batting an eyelash. This is emblematic of the problem because it's superfluous and no, but I don't hear anyone giving our side of the story on this issue.
0: No, it's it's extraordinary, Daniel. I mean, you're only in Washington could conservatives, supposed conservatives, or not really conservatives, supposed conservatives be raising up the flag and trying to trumpet how great they are for trying to hold the line to get a CR pass that includes a program which needs to be reformed and or done away with. And do so to try to juxtapose that up against an immigration effort, i.e., Dreamers DACA, that isn't even in the bill being held up. I mean, it's extraordinary. It's a, it's a logic that you can't even put together. And American people are just dumbfounded when they find out these things. But that's what's happening. You're now having Republicans applaud themselves for passing a continuing resolution to fund our bloated government, to blow caps of spending, to hold any kind of restraint in place. And fund a program which is deeply flawed, does not empower states enough, doesn't do enough to actually help the people it's supposed to be helping, and does nothing but increase largesse and drive up healthcare costs. And yet they pat themselves on the back as if they're some sort of political geniuses.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. The last uh, year or so, we've really focused here at CRTV, CR, Conservative <laughs> Contents, all our platforms, we've focused a lot on immigration healthcare because. In many respects, immigration is the most systemic issue for the whole of the people, Um, most consequential issue, national security, sovereignty, society, um, the future orientation of our society. Healthcare is the linchpin to our economy, to freedom, to fiscal solvency, um, to reorienting the priorities of government, to, to restoring the free market. And on both of those issues, I'm finding... Nobody is approaching it from the premise of our way of thinking, even the conservatives. So, Chip, I'm going to give I'm going to grade. You know, normally you grade with a curve down. I'm going to grade you with a curve up. Um, you know, other other people I'm going to have on. We're just looking for another member of the Freedom Caucus. And, and that would be a big step up because, frankly, most of the people we're electing are, you know, part of the other side, um, even even in conservative districts. But we we need a leader. And the Freedom Caucus was a good idea. It, it, it's conception. But clearly, it, it's not achieving quite the results we want. I'm curious, you know, again, because we know where you are on the issues. We know you understand the issues, the, the, the strategies, the legislative process. Like, like very few who are going to be running, even people that share our values. How do you think, and, and I've bothered you about this before, as just one member of the House, which is a pretty miserable place to be. How do you plan on taking this to the next level? Whether it's the Freedom Caucus or something else, to serve as that multiplying force to give, to at least give voice to some of our issues.
0: Sure, thanks, Daniel. I mean, look. First of all, let me answer it in two parts. First, um, you have to be honest and truthful to yourself and to the people who sent you there. Uh, we don't do that enough. Okay, I think mean, we win. When we take the truth back to the American people, present that truth plainly, let them respond, and then we almost always win the issue. I was heartened to see Tom Cotton, for example, tweet out a couple days ago a copy of the so-called deal that was being tossed around on the DREAM Act or, or DACA. You know, they mix up the two terms. It's imperative that the American people see the actual truth. When they do, they're really frustrated as opposed to what the leadership in Washington puts over the truth. And when they call it, we saw it last year and all of your listeners will recall our fight on uh, the fake Obamacare appeals. Um, When we put the truth out, which you did, which I work to do at the Texas Public Policy Foundation along with the great analysis and research of Chris Jacobs and Drew White who's still at CBPF, we put out all of this data saying, look guys, this still expands Medicaid. This still has expanded subsidies. This still has all the regulations in place. This isn't repeal. When you take that to the American people, they poke their head up and say, "Um, excuse me, I I asked for repeal, and you've been saying you're going to do it for seven years. So to me, the solution is honesty. If you can't get a deal across the finish line, because Susan Collins or John McCain, or frankly, even somebody that parades themselves as a more conservative, can't do it or won't get you, let you get the votes, then take that to the American people. Be honest about it. Say, well, we couldn't do this, so we can only get this. I think mean, that's the solution. The second part of it is, like, the House Freedom Caucus, they, they have, and you know it too, they've been very strong warriors on a lot of the fronts you and I uh, believe in. But what happens with all groups? Groups get into groupthink. My goal for being in Washington and what I think all conservative congressmen that are elected in Washington should do is go up and honestly evaluate whatever is being put forward. I think the current discussions, and I actually haven't even looked to see what positions anybody's taken. I don't know what any of our friends in the House Freedom Caucus or any of our friends in the Senate are saying about the current debate. What I know about the current debate is that they're applauding themselves for a continuing resolution, which will not reduce the size and scope of government. It will increase it which will continue a flawed program that won't give us healthcare freedom. And they're patting themselves on the back because they're able to try to leverage it against Democrats who are voting against it because it doesn't have an amnesty in it. And that is the absurd way that Washington works. And that's how you, you break the back of it by calling it how you see it.
1: Wow. And, and uh, in case our listeners think he got that from my article, it, it just came out while Chip was on a previous radio program. So I know he could not have read it, but I literally made that very point that even among the Freedom Caucus guys, and, and look, I love a lot of these guys. I talk with a lot of them. Um, we're measuring success of the impending budget bill, assuming it passes the House and Senate, as at least we didn't toss an interception when we had possession of the ball. So they have the House, the Senate, the White House, and, well, at least the Democrats didn't succeed in tacking on an amnesty to a budget bill. Well, what about us tacking on defunding sanctuary cities? on our immigration priorities, cutting spending. Um, and, and, and by the way, Chip, how is it that two years after the seminal videos came out about Planned Parenthood, this is a simple private organization caught harvesting baby, par- baby organs um, with taxpayer funding that you just simply, you know, we're not even talking about systemic entitlement reform. You just don't fund a private criminal entity harvesting baby organs. It's not even on the table. It's not even a demand. And Republicans have all three branches. I mean, no one's even bringing it up. I, I, I can't believe it.
0: Well, I wish I could say that I didn't believe it either, but we've seen it. We've seen it in action. And, uh, you know, I was, unfortunately, I was at the attorney general's office when a lot of those videos were breaking. And so I had the unfortunate job, along with some of the staff in our office, of watching a lot of these horrific videos. And we won't get into that here, but it, needless to say, that any single tax dollar would ever go to allowing that sort of thing to occur is barbaric and it's shameful. And the GOP lacks the direction, focus, and fortitude to drive an agenda that goes through these very common sense positions and take them to the American people and win the argument. That's where I think you see the breakdown. When Senator Cruz went to Washington, the first in 2013, his goal was to take what he did campaigning, where he said that he was going to fundamentally transform the Senate and then take that and say, look, we need to go win minds and hearts. We've got to go win win the argument. That's what you have to do. Um, Ronald Reagan did that well. Margaret Thatcher did that well. and And frankly, and a little credit to Trump. Trump cut through some of the noise in his unique way of doing it in a way that gets people mobilized. But we need to add, I think, the layer of intellectual heft to yeah. all of that about talking about why we believe what we believe and convince a new generation of Americans as to why they thrive and do well when, when we give them limited government and why we protect our society when we stop the barbarities of things like Planned Parenthood. We just got to lead and win the argument.
1: Well, wow, that's an important point there, because, you know, obviously we've criticized Trump for, for two years on many fronts, uh, whether it's issues or, or, or his character. But one thing we pointed out, and it's, it's very evident recently, is in his Jerusalem speech, he spoke about the need to challenge failed assumptions and failed ways of doing it, things. I loved it. And, and, and he's asking the question, why? Why are we giving money to Pakistan? Why are we giving money to the PLO? Why are we bringing in so many people while we bring in some wonderful people? We bring in way too many people that don't share our values or our net fiscal drain or don't assimilate. It makes no sense. And I think this is what's distinguishing your candidacy from how many uh, people are running in the in the primary.
0: Unbelievably, there are 18 (laughs) running in the primary for this uh, particular race.
1: Your district is a perfect case. You have a long held Republican district, open seat after decades. So everyone and their grandmother wants to run because it's a a safe Republican seat. 18 Republicans run. Here's the problem let's go back to Planned Parenthood. Every Republican is pro life, except almost none of them are, because they check the box, but they will not give voice to the strategy and, and drive a narrative and a strategy and direction to actually put it in place when the opportunity presents itself, like in budget bills. And this is what's so frustrating. Um, You mentioned Tom Cotton, and I think that's also a great example. Um, Chain migration. It's something many of us have been yelping about for 15 years, but he's actually giving voice to it. And, it's funny, even Democrats are starting to, uh, you know, it's usually our side using their parlance, LBJT and, and DACA and Dreamer, and you know, and, and they're actually being forced to use our language on chain migration. They're not happy about it. This is how you win arguments. Um, what are some issues or ideas that you feel are not getting put on the table at all that you want to introduce into the debate if, you're, if you go to Washington?
0: Well, that's an interesting question, right? because we get caught up and too easy to get caught up in the day-to-day fights and the noise and the headlines and the tweets and, and everything else and, and so you know try and keep your eyes focused on the prize. I mean I'll, I'll start by saying the things that motivate me and we touched on a few of them are spending and getting the spending under control. Uh, two is health care and getting healthcare freedom back. Three is making sure that we actually have. Uh, secure borders and an immigration system that focuses on America first. And then fourth, and it's one we haven't talked about, that I do think is important that I know is near to your heart, is restraining and pulling back on the out-of-control judiciary. We've got to recognize the privacy of Article One. The founders made Congress the first article and empowered it for a reason. It's the branch closest to the people. And specifically the House of Representatives, I might add, is the part the behalf of the Congress that is the closest to the people, the people's house, as they call it. And we can restrict what the judiciary does. We just have to have the willpower to do it. Uh, we can restrain their jurisdiction. We can impeach judges who are out of line, like this Ninth Circuit judge or judges that are flouting the president's obvious constitutional authority to make decisions about who can come in and out of our country, particularly people that pose a threat to national security, and just impeach the judge, Uh, restrict the power of judges over certain areas where they're extending beyond what they should. I think that would be a critically important thing to do. And one other area, not to bounce around too much, but I'd add one more to the list, is we need to uh, exercise our article on powers in Congress to restrict the power of the bureaucrats, not just the judges, but the bureaucrats. And the president is running into this and his new secretaries and heads of agencies are running into the problem of deep state. Well, we just the some of the power probably already exists, frankly. But Congress could speak with a clear voice to say that these civil servants, the uh, people in civil service and part of these federal unions, that are just entrenched in the bureaucracy, that are flouting the will of the people, they should be removed. It's absurd that they're sitting there untouchable. And, and ruling from high from some cubicle in the outer reaches of D.C. or Maryland or Virginia, so I would say those are two things we haven't talked about that I think are fundamentally important to transforming Washington.
1: <coughs> wow, I mean, you're basically talking about reopening our government—the uh, the, the real government shutdown—and uh, you know, I, I laugh when they talk about the 17% shutdown of the non-essential employees. We have district judges shutting down our nation state, <laughs> our sovereignty, much less uh, 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 our, our you know, bureaucratic government. We literally are a year into Trump's presidency, and he literally cannot enforce federal foundational sovereignty laws. Um, Not just his discretion to do so, but his requirement, for example, to cut off non-immigrant visas from... Uh, um some of the countries on his list is actually required by the two thousand two nine eleven law, which no one follows daca they're now saying a president must follow the illegal act of another president that made denizens of aliens something Hamilton said only a, a king could do um and, and everyone just takes it at face value done a district judge could just shut that down um what you know and and then now they're saying that you have to have uh, um, whatever they call those uh, operations for uh, uh, changing your chromosomes in the military allow them in and actually have DOD pay for them so now the district judges have become commander in chief Chip I can't get anyone who's willing to give voice to this and the funny thing is nothing else matters elections won't matter the issues won't matter Um, because right now as we're speaking we're having this debate over the budget and legislative amnesty right now we have judicial amnesty Right now, that's in place. So my question is, and I've kind of gone over here, but I know as a House member, you know, you have a very small staff and you're familiar with that, much smaller than Senate. And there's kind of the overwhelming factor that the the, the left is fighting us on 10 different fronts on a given day. And usually we don't have anyone giving voice in a meaningful way to more than one of those issues at once. Do you have any... Ideas of how to work with other members to create maybe. And I know you, you know, you said we need to eschew a group think, but but you do need to work with other people to just get out of this overwhelming factor. Just that you know, you, you have constituent work you're going to have to deal with small staff. How do you plan to accomplish this?
0: Well, sure, I mean, it's a good question. It's not easy. Uh, you do have to. Uh, Focus heavily on the concerns of your constituents in your district and make sure you've got staff focusing on those. But I think people overplay the extent to which you need large numbers of staff as opposed to needing the willpower to make succinct and simple statements and positions very clear and mobilize the American people and work with outside folks to mobilize a grassroots effort to drive and change the narrative. That's the key to winning Washington. If these guys sit around and sit in some room and they get together and they go, okay, we've got eight guys, or 10 or guys, you know, group guys and gals deciding, you know, well, let's, let's focus on the particle, the article one powers. And how can we refocus our efforts on improving and increasing the power of the Congress? That's all stuff you do in some sort of, you know, law school, you know, classroom setting. You just need to state the need to reassert article one powers and go give a list of things to go do it with and then get the American people behind you. They want it. They get it. They want bureaucrats to stop being empowered. They want They want Washington to be smaller. They want spending to be reduced. They want more money in their pockets. They want healthcare freedom. They want to have a secure border. They're not anti-immigrant. They want the sanity in our immigration system. And we can take back the power from the judges and the bureaucrats. You just got to have the will to do it. And I don't mean to make it sound simple. It isn't easy to do, but we have playbooks that have succeeded. We were successful in the cut, cap, and balance effort in the throes of an Obama administration and in a sea of people who didn't want to do it. The American people with Tea Party leadership, outside grassroots organizations, and a handful, small handful of leaders in Washington, we've set the stage for a campaign to stop the spending uh, uh, effort that was going on in 2009 and 10, and we got cut cap and balance and it put the brakes on that spending. We had a successful effort when we were, uh, uh, you know, in the past when we've been able to go forward and push and fight, whether it was welfare reform and other things that we've done, but we're, what we refuse to do is lead. And instead they cower in the corner with shutdown concerns. Lastly, I'll just say, you've got to be willing to use the tools that we have to frame the debate and the debt ceiling fights and the CR. Are those tools that we have, and if we're afraid to use them, then you're not going to have any leverage for power. And if they unilaterally disarm by saying they're going to run away from a shutdown, you have no leverage to change and win the debate.
1: Wow, there, there you go, folks. I mean, you're not going to hear that from too many other candidates that are just that familiar with the tricks and understand from the get-go um, how to fight back against it, how to use it. And I think what I'm hearing from you, Chip, and, and what I'm definitely seeing from my space very much involved in the conservative grassroots conservative media i i sense that conservative voters and and again i think a lot of what we're talking about is really intuitive to everyone not just conservatives they like to rally behind something and and i find we succeed if we have either an idea a blueprint or a bill a legislative bill hr this and it's easy to message it's intuitive it's common sense and you have an inside outside game, an inside strategy to work it through a debt ceiling, a budget bill, a certain leverage point. Outside strategy now with social media, you could easily be a voice in that platform. And I'm I'm watching the Rays Act. You know, people have bemoaned the immigration policies for 20 years, but they actually introduced the Raise Act, started talking about chain migration, and we're not there yet. But if we actually had more people giving voice to this, a, a lot of people know about it already. Um, and I think there's no reason we can't do that on judicial reform. On you talked about healthcare freedom, you know, price transparency. We talked about uh, taking away some of the government-made monopolies handed to the big hospital and big insurance cartel. A uh, very easy to message. A lot of these ideas, but this leads me to my final question: How do you solve the enigma of getting elected? In other words, let's take he- healthcare. A lot of the reason why nobody touches on this stuff is because, well, the insurance cartel, they're among the most prolific donors to both parties. And then if you if you run against this, you're not going to get any industry money. How do you win without industry money?
0: Well, I think that the um, the key really is trying to build a base. And we need to be better, by the way, the conservative movement of establishing a base of the American population that we could multiply quickly to fund the key campaigns. So let's take, take my race. You know, it's probably going to take, I don't know, a million dollars in the end to get through the primary runoff in a general election. Uh, it could be more. I mean, I have no idea, but it, it's a huge amount of money, right? And, you know, But if you have 10 races every, every cycle that costs a certain amount, half a million dollars, 10 million, and just do the math on it, OK, well, how do we distribute those dollars to be able to sort of flip the switch when we've got conservatives and get them elected? Now, some of that's happening. We've got groups that are doing that. Um, and I want to get down the weed to that. To answer your question of on. at the end of the day, you just have to be principled about who you're taking money from and make sure that when you're taking money from a broad spectrum of people with the federal caps that we have, that you're not beholden to any one of them. And that we do a really good job of trying to gin up the small dollar contributors. Everybody that's out there, you give those five and ten and fifteen and fifty dollar gifts. Those things are awesome. If you get those and multiply them across the board. Then the people are empowered, and you're no longer emboldened. You know, no longer uh, having to go talk to a particular you know corporation or or, or some you know larger donor. Um, I'll say one last point on all this, which is. The biggest way to be free when you're in Washington is to simply not care if you're reelected and go there and fight to represent the people. And if you're there for two years, four years, six years or longer, if you're there fighting for the people and that you will probably be reelected. But the moment you start taking actions specifically to try to keep your power, you are done. You are no longer worth being there.
1: Mic drop moment, folks. That's it. I mean, there's nothing more to say. That is, if you want to know why so many good guys and people that, you know, I even support in the past and spoke to for hours about all the tricks and I thought they got in and, you know, within six months they were gone. That's exactly the point. It all becomes about that. I hear it from the members every day. Um, this is why I, I support this candidacy so much, even though I am really jaded from the electoral process and I, you know, broke my promise not to get involved and got involved right right after I, you know, the whole Alabama fiasco. Chip, um, where could people go to compete with the industry cartels and uh, actually make this make this a reality?
0: Sure. Thanks, Daniel, and thanks for having me on and, and thanks for all y'all that are listening. dot uh, Chiproy.com, C-H-I-P-R-O-Y dot com. That's ChipRoy.com. Uh, we're doing great. We had a really good, successful December. We raised a good amount of money from small dollars and from uh, good, strong, concerted donors in Texas. Um, but we need help. We've got a long, we've got 18 people in the field. we got to get through this uh, uh, primary and then get through a special uh, or, or I should say uh, runoff and then get to the general election. And look, it's a, it's a Republican seat. It's a 57, 58 to 42, 43 seat. But you know, the Dems are going after every seat and, you know, there are no guarantees. And so we've got to push hard. But if we elect solid, uh, limited government constitutional conservatives to go up there and fight alongside Ted Cruz and Mike Lee and the House Freedom Caucus and and, uh, others up there who are doing the Lord's work, we can win this. The the tide is in our direction as much as we hate a lot of the things we see. Ten years ago, we didn't have a lot of these guys. We didn't have Rand Paul and Marco and Ted and and uh, uh, Mike Lee elected as we did in 2010 and 2012 and the house freedom guys that came out out of the tea party wave, all of this stuff and none of them are perfect and none, and only, you know, but we're moving in the right direction and we now have the chance to get up there and transform this place. And that's, that's why I'm energized to, to try.
1: Well, folks, there you have it. That is chip Roy. Go to chiproy.com. Um, you know, in every cycle, we're going to have different people running as the, as the Calvary. And this, this guy will lead it. And and this is why we cannot be silent. If we complain and we say, hey, we don't like what they're doing, we got to have our own options. And you know, I'm speaking to myself as well, and I would never want to run, but that's the problem. We like being in the bleachers. We don't get on the field. Here's a guy that has gotten on the field. Um, Chip, would you be willing to come back and give, give us an update in a couple weeks?
0: Love to. Always love to come on your show and, and uh, all the stuff that you're doing and the things that you're writing about it and happy to
1: do it. Awesome. Well, God bless. Take care. See y'all. Bye-bye. Take care. Well, anyway, there you have it folks. That was Chip Roy running in District 21 of Texas. This is really exciting. I I am I'm am jazzed. Look, I could have come on in a bad mood cuz I'm in a pretty bad mood this entire week. All the bad news going on and we're going to try to dissect that in a separate podcast. Um just what exactly is going on with the budget and immigration and s chip and the things that tie in just so you guys are up on it because i know a lot of you uh tune into this show to find out some of the nitty-gritty details from a conservative conscience perspective that you're not gonna hear elsewhere and to our westwood audience um look we're gonna try to do this more often and bring you voices that are out of the box um but i will tell you i mean it's gonna be hard to find people like chip that you know have the background on the issues and worked in the system and are that conservative, but that principled, that articulate and also understand the, you know, n- ability, the, the need to run a proper campaign and raise money. If I could duplicate him, I would, <laughs> but that's why we had him on first. Um, Kind of a hard act to follow for some others, but we will br- be, you know, try to bring you one a week. Uh, let me know your feedback. Let me know. You know, I know I'm, I've been getting some notes from, people running for office. I can't promise to get to everyone, but we will try. And, you know, also I, I just do want to note, if you're if you're running for office and you don't plan on raising, you know, more than fifty to a hundred thousand dollars, I can't even, you know, I can't waste time with I can't waste my listeners' time. It's just it's just the reality. And I don't know how to raise money and this is the problem with many of our people, but you gotta do it. Even Dave Brat, which was the biggest miracle upset, he did raise at least one hundred thirty thousand in the primary. Um, so you, you know, if you're just there at twenty thirty thousand, I'm just telling you, it's not going to happen. You do have to raise the money. Uh, but anyway, we're just about out of time. Look for other content on everything going on. Don't get caught up in the group think. I love that no group think, and we need people who will not give a darn about their own reelection. Because you know what it's only those people that will likely get reelected. Till next time, God bless you all. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of the Conservative Con.